Uh, it's good to be here this morning. It worked out in a very timely fashion. Uh, many of you know Brother Brandon went down uh, over the middle of the week to see his grandfather who was, who was very sick and he did indeed pass away. And so Brandon needed to be gone today, so it worked out well that I bring forth this lesson. I hope you find it edifying. I hope you find it uplifting. I hope you find it informative. And as with each sermon that I've ever heard Brandon or any other preacher preach on, I hope you think of it personally. Um, I hope that these words cause us to stir to think about not only Christian wives, but as Christian husbands, what our roles are and how we're going to function day to day. And we're going to talk about some of the challenges of being a Christian wife and of being a Christian husband and those, those sort of things back through. Uh, so with that, um, I'm pardoned, I didn't have, yeah, I do have this, okay. So with that, if you would, if you want to turn over to Joshua twenty four fifteen, this this is our theme for the year, and we're going to wrap up this theme, and at the end of this sermon, I'm actually going to announce our new theme for the year 2021, okay. Uh, Brandon has done a fabulous job of, of in bringing lessons into this, uh, Joshua 24:15, and uh, he's, he's just it's been a good theme to finish off this theme with a, with a, with a sermon on the Christian wife. Um, like I said, Tom having done two sermons on the husband, I don't know how you were, but I got a lot from that, and uh, quite honestly, he stepped on my toes a few times and made me rethink my position as a husband, as a Christian man, and so on and so forth. Um, and the role of husbands and their role, not only to their wives, but to God, uh, to, to live faithfully. Um, Joshua, here in this, this slide, I'm gonna, I want you to think about it for a minute from this perspective and talk about this particular passage and what we can draw from it. In Joshua 24, 15, and we've had experience with Joshua. You can read about Joshua a lot in the New Testament. But Joshua here in this particular text, he had made this statement, and if he says, and he says, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And this is a key, and we even have a song that we sing that we talk about dare to stand like Joshua. And Joshua stands up and he says this, he said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's quite a bold statement to make. And I hope that is a theme that you've been able to get behind for the whole year from a personal standpoint, whether a husband, a wife, uh, a teenager, a younger person. The thought is, as for me and my, my house, we will serve the Lord. I would suggest to you, and I'm just inferring this, this is just an inferred statement. That Joshua is leading his family based on his position. As a man, as a husband, as a father. Not based on what his wife wants him to do or his kids want. But what direction his family is going to move to is that towards serving God. That's inferred by this statement. Now, what we're not told here is whether they had a family meeting and we're not told whether the wife says, I don't think this is a good idea. The kids say, we don't want to do that. None of this is being, but when we're, what's inferred by this reading here is this. That Joshua, as leader of his house, has simply stood up and said, as for me and my house, we are going to follow the Lord. 
And that's inferred in this statement. I think that's very positive. And I would bet you that he has the full support of his wife and family in this, even though it's probably not the popular decision to make. Because we can read here, he tells them, you, you do what you want to do. You serve the God you want to serve. But this is where me and my family are going to go. And he takes on a role of leadership. And we're going to talk about that for a minute in, in the fact of leadership. And that, that is leadership, okay? But let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the very beginning. In the very beginning in Genesis 2.18, if you want to turn over there, God's in the, in the process of creation. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper, comparable to him. And I looked it up and I thought it was interesting. Just the term wife, not woman, just the term wife is used 370 times in the Bible. And we have examples of good wives throughout all the Old and New Testament. And we have examples of bad wives throughout all the Old and New Testament. Think of somebody like Jezebel. Think of the destruction and the things that she did for her husband and to her husband and to other people. And then you think of people like Ananias and Sapphira or Priscilla and Aquila. And you see different roles that women have taken besides their husbands and what they've done to help be a helpmeet. And so I look at this and are determined that God decided that it is not good for man to be alone. He needs a helper. And some translations you might have here, and I apologize, I didn't pull out my phone. Some translations you may have here might say help me. How many of you have help me in your Bible there instead of helper? No? Okay. Well, it's interesting the term helper because I looked this up and I wanted to give you this information if I can pull it up correctly. I went back to the Greek word. I got the wrong wrong thing going here. I apologize. Hang on. I went back to the Greek word and I thought it was interesting and I wanted you to consider this. When God made the decision that he needed that man needed the helper, it says here in two eighteen, comparable to him. And what does that mean comparable to him? We know that God said that woman is, is bones of his bones and flesh of his flesh, and he's comparable to him. And Tom talked about the role of a man and woman, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But the Greek word helper here I thought was very interesting in 2.18. It says the Greek word is ezar or azar, and it simply means somebody who is an aid or somebody who offers help. And what I found interesting is, I had read a text on this by an article that I wanted you to think about. And it said that our English word for Azar, or the Greek word that we use for English, is easier. In other words, he made him a helpmate to make his life easier. Somebody to help him through the process. And I found that very interesting, that he would use that term. So what is the helpmate? It is just exactly that. It's an ezor, or what we use the English word to make it easier. Okay, so this sermon, don't forget, is about Christian wives. And the question is, wives, and I, I got this topic, are you making your husband's work, his walk, his life, are you a helper? Are you making it easier? This summer, Regina and I will be married 40 years, and I just... Seems like it's went by just like that. 
And in no way am I comparing my marriage to your marriage or anybody else's marriage. In no way am I trying to do that. But I will tell you, Regine, and I told her I was going to mention her in this thing, and she didn't want me to, okay, that she has made my life a lot easier. All the blessings that she's been to me as a Christian and as a mother and a grandmother have just been too wonderful for me to explain. And for me, she defines a helpmeet. Now, is Regine perfect? No. To me, she is. But no. But I can also tell you this, neither is her husband. Okay? And we have our days. But she's been a tremendous helpmeet to me. And I will tell you that typically, not all the time, but typically, when you find a man that has spiritually got his bearings correct, that spiritually is leading his family, that's usually financially successful to some degree, and on and on we go with the accolades, you will find him side by side with a woman who meets a lot of the qualifications that God talks about. She is exactly that. She's a helpmate. She's a helper. She's someone that you can count on being by your side all the time. I've had friends let me down. But I will tell you what, if you have a, a wife that has been your helpmate or a helpmeet or a helper, then you've had a tremendous blessings. My hope is that you, all you ladies are indeed fulfilling Greg God's request that you indeed are helping. I, like I said, I know some of you are widows, and I know we even have some widowers in her. And I say to you, misunderstand the concept of God seeing that. Man wasn't designed to be alone. And the importance of companionship. In Proverbs, we see two other statements here. In fact, let me read this. I forgot I had this slide. And I want to just read this, and this lesson is not going to be very long. But from the beginning, it said, But it was not good that God whom I created was to live alone. The man who God created was not meant to live alone. And despite his glorious surroundings in the garden, Adam recognized his own solitude. And so God made a suitable helper to share his life, that of a helpmeet. That corresponded to Adam's need, a woman that would complement and I can't stress that word enough. A woman to complement Adam's position. A ruler of God's creation. A wife who would be the bone of his bone and the flesh of his flesh. She was to be his helper. She was to be all that Adam lacked in his loneliness. And together they would become one flesh and live together in loving unity. Together they would abide in the spiritual union. Together they would be joined in the perfect marriage that was overseen by God. And from the beginning of creation... God made them male and female, man and wife, to be united together as one. And it says that is why a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Therefore, we're told what God has joined together, let no man separate. And so we've heard those words before. We've heard those words of weddings. Now, I apologize, I got to that bottom line. So I just wanted to hit that slide. And so in Proverbs, we see a couple statements here. In Proverbs chapter 18 and 22, and this talks about the importance of a wife. It says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor for the Lord. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. And then in Proverbs 19, 14, it says, houses and riches are an inheritance 
from a father from from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. And can we see the value then of what it is to be a wife to a husband, and the value it brings to him, and the value it is to be with him? But in Proverbs, there's also another warning. In Proverbs 19, verse 13, this proverb carries a warning. It says, A foolish son is the ruin of his father, but a contentions of a wife are continual dripping. So, wives, I just want you to think about your positions. You know, I know I'm the worst sometimes, and I'll bring this back to me. Raging will tell me something and then tell me again. And sooner or later, I'll go back and say, now, what did you tell me? And I could just see the frustration rise. Sometimes we men, we just don't listen, okay? But sometimes, ladies, you have to understand, we're wired different to you, and you understand that, okay? But the proverb writer says the contentions, or the contentious wife, becomes a continual dripping, okay? Have you ever had a faucet that dripped? Now, I never think of a faucet. I think of a clock, when I was a young kid, I would sleep at my grandma's. And back then, they didn't have clocks like we had. She had what we called a cuckoo clock. And I remember as a kid going to bed, and I could hear every second counting on that clock. It would just tick, tick, tick. And I'd like, I, I just wanted to just grab that clock and tear it off the wall, okay? Because it just literally drove me crazy. And so he says here, a contentious wife or contentious wife can be like a constant dripping, okay? So think about that concept, if we will, because he does, he offers that warning. Sometimes we just need to stop and think about how we're treating our spouse. And Wendell brought this up in his class. Wives, how are you treating your spouse? Husbands, how are you treating your spouse? It goes for both of us, okay? Are we building each other up? Or are we constantly tearing each other down? And it gets so easy. It gets so easy to do. Sometimes I don't think we realize this is my opinion and this is my experience. Sometimes I don't think wives realize the impact they have on their husbands and their children and the things things that they affect. Men's self-esteem, men's confidence, their affection, their attitude, all these things a wife can add to and enhance and to bring to a man's abilities but you can also take them away from a man Regina just talked about this in her class and I thought it was interesting man indeed may be the head of the household but the example was the wife could be the neck she could decide which way that head turns from time to time and so think about those concepts if you will as you go forward I can't stress the importance of a Christian wife and a Christian husband of being more than that of a team. In 1 Corinthians 7, 3, and 4, the importance of being a team, it says, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And so we have to realize what God has done. He's put us together and he's made us as one. And we know these concepts. We've been preached to. We've had lessons on these things. We understand all these things and what they are. The importance of being 
a team. As was God's intention, when we entered into our marriage, we became as one flesh. We do work together as a team. And that one goal is to keep each other, I can't stress enough, that one goal is to help each other get to heaven. Raise children, support them, support each other, and bring out the best that we can be in each other. Wives, you have that kind of power. You really do. So this brings me to this. And I just want to, I felt, of all the slides I put in here, this slide to me was one of the most important. Because as a society, we already know this. Every time man starts to deviate from God's word and make decisions based on what they think's best and where they want our culture to be going to, everything starts to break down. Not only man's ability, a wife's ability, a society's ability, everything goes sideways because man starts to interject their ideas of what a marriage should be. And truthfully and simply, God has designed marriage to run perfectly if we simply decide to live by it. But our society, I believe, without a shadow of a doubt, is attacking the marriage as we know it today. So I would suggest to you our society is completely destroying the design of marriage, the role of the husband, as well as the role of the wife, the way God had designed it. All you have to do, and I've noticed this for a while, and I'll be honest with you, it's getting worse, is just watch the commercials and how they make men look. They make them look weak, inept, and indecisive. And placing the woman in the leadership role, or should I say, rule. There's this one particular commercial, every time it comes on, it just wants to drive me crazy. The husband and wife got themselves, the wife gets her husband a Christmas gift, and she lays two watches on the table. And she said, I went shopping early and I got you a gift. Hold on just a minute. And the husband says, I did too. And he's got two car keys. Maybe you've seen this commercial. And they go out front and there sits an SUV, a red SUV, and a dark pickup truck. And she says, oh, I love it. And she runs over and she puts her hands against the truck. And the husband said, well, that actually was mine. She goes, I love it. She goes, it's mine. You know, and he's getting, you know what he says? I guess I like red. And he walks over to the SUV. Now, that may seem petty to you. It may seem petty to me. But start watching these programs, these commercials, and how often they take this role and they switch them around and they make it perverse. They make it wrong. Okay? And I can't stress this enough. Our society is doing this to men, and they're doing it to women as well. You know, many people go to college today, and there's nothing wrong with being a strong, independent woman. But God has designed a role for a woman in the marriage, and she's to follow that role. But our our societies, our academia and different societies are elevating women to a position where you don't need a husband. You don't need to listen to your husband. You don't need to be under his control. You don't need to submit. And they use all these terminology, okay, to where women, and and if I'm off track here, I'm sorry, they feel empowered that they're not going to take any man's guff, any man's words, any man's suggestions upon themselves because they don't no longer see him as head of the household. Again, destroying the design of God's marriage. So this is where problems start. 
I read a book when I was newly married, and I want to talk about this for just a minute. And I found a copy so I could paste it on here. This is where problems start. And the name of the book was called Husbands Who Won't Lead and Wives Who Won't Follow. And it was written down there. You can see this by James Walker. And I read this book years ago, and it was a good book for me to read. It it was very thought-provoking. Now, am I telling you you should go out and get this book and read it right now? I'm not saying that. For me, it's time it was an interesting read. But the question is, does this book define your marriage? Do you, does this the book define your marriage? Are you a husband that will not lead? Or are you a wife who will not follow? God's divine word is what should measure our marriage. God's divine word. So the question is this. Why won't a husband leave? Why won't a husband lead? And may I suggest to you, and I only wrote down two things. And probably the first one is probably the most important. And I wrote this. Laziness. Laziness. Okay? And the other one I wrote down was lack of confidence. When I was getting ready to come up here and preach, Ray, Jim tapped me on the back and says, you're going to do great, honey. And I said, thank you. I appreciate that. She was putting confidence into me. And she's done that our whole marriage. And I appreciate that. But some men won't lead because they're just simply too lazy to lead. Oh, you take care of it. What do you want the kids to do? I don't care. You just deal with it. Okay? Husbands, you have some husbands that simply refuse to lead their families. And it messes up the whole structure of the family. How many of you are old enough to remember moms used to scold the kids? And the kids would act up and mom would scold the kids. And then she'd say this, wait till your dad gets home. And you would put the fear in him. My mom's sitting back there. I could see her smiling under her mask. Because when she said, wait till dad gets home, we knew then there was no more threats. This was the real deal. We were going down. Okay? You know, and dad ruled with an iron fist. And so did my mom to a certain degree. But dad was the leader of the house. And when dad said it, he meant it. So why won't women follow? To follow the same book. And I just wrote down a few topics. Think about this, ladies. And if I and again, this, this lesson is not to offend. It's to think. Why won't, why won't a wife follow? Maybe she's just simply bullheaded. Maybe she's stubborn. Maybe she always feels that her husband is just incompetent. Maybe she's just simply being bossy. Maybe she's self-absorbed. Maybe she just feels like she's always right. And this can go on and on. And I can list a lot more accolades for men as well, why they won't lead. But I will tell you this, when you develop a marriage where a husband won't lead, and you develop a message, uh, uh, marriage where a wife won't follow, that is, a, that is a recipe for disaster in a marriage. It really is. I suggest we simply look at the scriptures and then apply the way God wants a marriage, backslash a wife or a woman, to apply the scriptures to her marriage and to her husband, and to her children. We all know about the wise woman in Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 talks about the wise woman. And many times over Mother's Day, this sermon, many sermons are preached on Proverbs 31. But I pulled out just a few verses that I want you to think about for the wise woman. And they they describe her so well. But just in verses 10 through 12, who can find a virtuous wife? 
for her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. So he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. That's just 10 through 12. In verses 27 and 28 in Proverbs 31, she watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. And then in verse 30, it says in Proverbs 31, Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Those are just some attributes of a wise woman. And I think they so aptly described many of the ladies that I've known, that I've been members with in the churches that I belong to. Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. This is kind of our linchpin verse. And many, many of us have read this verse before, and I want to draw some things out of it. The importance of the wife. Wives, it says here, if you want to turn or read it. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, if you go on and read through there, it talks about how husbands are treated to wives. It talks about how husbands are love their wives to the point that Christ loved the church and he gave his life for the church. So I'm just picking out the beginning. The husband part is right in that section and Tom elaborated on that, okay? But he says here, wives, submit to your husbands. And I would, I would suggest to you I would suggest to you, and I could be wrong, but I would suggest to you in today's culture, if a professor walked into a classroom of college students and said, listen, we're going to talk about marriage today, and this is in the scriptures, and this is what the scriptures say, and that is, wives, you submit to your husbands as to the Lord. What kind of backlash do you think would occur from that statement? It would be tremendous. Okay, because nobody likes to hear that word submit. Now, Tom, before he finished, gave me an interesting topic on the word submit. And I'm glad he gave it to me because it puts it much better than I can simply put it. When we use that word submit, I want you to think of it along these terms. Okay, it says in Ephesians 5.22, submit simply means to voluntarily. I can't stress this enough to voluntarily submit to. To yield to another's advice. To place one's power under the authority of another. That's something that she determines. She determines to voluntarily put her authority under someone else. Okay? Now, does that mean that man has his foot on her all the time? And simply just pushes down when he wants something? No. That's not what that means at all. Because we, as, as Christian husbands know how we're supposed to treat our Christian wives. But let's face it, there's going to be times in our marriage where we're going to come to an impasse, whether it be how we're raising our children, how we're going to spend our money, whether we are or not going to church, and I can go on and on and on, and somebody has to make a decision. Somebody has to say, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. Somebody has to say that. And men, that's you. At some point, the decision has to be finalized. 
And I've had to make those decisions and listen to this. Some of them have been wrong. I'm sorry. But somebody had to make them. And this is a problem we have today. Men who will not lead and women who will not follow. And so this is God's arrangement. This is the important part. This is God's arrangement for the home. It does not mean she's inferior to us in any way, shape, or form. It's God's arrangement. Extent, extent of her subjection, and this is key, the extent of her subjection is to her husband and her to husband only, besides God himself. So what's her motivation to be sub, to be submissive? It's as unto the Lord. It's as unto the Lord. It's what the Lord has asked for. It's because the Lord commands submission, and it's his will. Now, if you jump down to 33, in the same chapter 5, and verse 33, Nevertheless, let each one of you, in particular, so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. See that she respects her husband. And men may I suggest this, that respect is something that's earned more and more over time. The longer you're married, hopefully the more respect you will get. Because it takes time. So those are some thoughts to be through. In conclusion, I'm going to take a drink of water here. In conclusion, I want to look, some things I want you to consider. And then I'm going to read to you a short list. First, let the scriptures be our guide in deciding how we operate the role of our marriage. Not society. Let's let the scriptures dictate how we work together as a husband and wife, or you as a Christian wife with your husband, how you operate your home with your children. Let the scriptures be our guide. Two, remember, ladies, that your daughters are watching. How do your husband, you and your husband interact? I have three daughters. I have three daughters. And I'm very, very thankful for the example that Regina set for them. Other people are watching. Other people understanding. Kids see everything. Number three, the wife plays a large role in the development of the family unit and is crucial in the development of her husband as a leader of the family. One, I'm not even sure I'd be a Christian today if it weren't for Regine. Now, I'm not trying to pour accolades on Regine, but here's where I was. I was 18 years, years old. I was out of control and I was very worldly. And Regine took an interest in the scriptures and started going to church with my family, which caused me to start going to church with my family, which caused her to get baptized, which caused me to get baptized. Wives, you have tremendous impact on your family, on your spouses. And even if you are a widow, you still have a huge impact on your children and your grandchildren and those sort of things. Number four, we're in this together. I can't tell you the value that my wife has been to the growth of the Christian father, grandfather. Help me would be an understatement. Wives, give your respect to your husbands that they deserve. And husbands, give your wife the respect that she deserves. The Christian wife, what a blessing from God. And as Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I put this final picture in here because it just seemed like there's no feeling like you're walking sometime and you just grab your wife by the hand or she grabs you by the hand. 
And this is a journey we're going through in this life, and it's not going to be easy. And so Tom made a list. He had a list here. It was from list, list to live by, and I thought it was interesting. And he talked about things that we should never say to each other, like, I told you so. I can do whatever I like. You're just like your mother. Well, you're just like your father. If you don't like it, you can just leave. You're always in a bad mood. You can't do anything right. You just don't think. That was pretty stupid. It's your fault. All you ever think of is yourself. What is wrong with you? If you really love me, you'd do this. All you ever do is complain. You're such a baby. I can't do anything to please you. You get what you deserve. Why don't you ever listen to me? What's your problem? Can't you be more responsible? I can never understand you. What were you thinking? Do you always have to be right? You're simply impossible. I don't know why I put up with you. You deserve a dose of your own medicine. Tell me you've never thought those things before. (laughs) Tell me you've never thought those things before. But things to say to your spouse. And we'll wrap it up with this because I thought it was so important. I love you. I was wrong. Boy, that one's a hard one to say. I was wrong. Good job. What is it that you need? Usually simply, sometimes you are just wonderful. Tell me what's on your mind. That was really great. Let me just listen. You are special. I missed you today. What can I do to help? I couldn't get you off my mind today. I appreciate all the things you've done for me these years. Pray for me. Pray for me. I'm praying for you today. As always, you look very nice today. Thank you for loving me. I trust you. I can always count on you. Thank you for accepting me. You make me feel good. You make my day brighter. I prize every moment we spend together. I'm sorry. I love to see your eyes sparkle when you smile. You know, we talked during Wendell's class, and I brought up the point, words have power. You can either use them to tear down, or you can use them to build up. Wives, because this sermon was about Christian wives, I would encourage you to think about the things you say to your husbands because they do have a huge impact. And why do they have a huge impact? Because we have a huge amount of respect for what you think about us. And it's very, very important what you think about us. Let's remember that our children and our grandchildren and other Christians are watching. Now, that concludes... The sermon for today. And as, uh, as always, the invitation is always open for anybody that may not be a Christian. If you're not a Christian, we give you this opportunity to become a Christian, to come forward and put on the blood of Christ, to be baptized for the remission of your sins. And maybe you're already a Christian, but you're struggling in life. This is a hard time of year for people. We've just come out of the holidays. We're about to go into January. This becomes difficult. And so if there's, you need the prayers for the brethren, if you need the support of the brethren, if there's something you simply need, I would suggest to you that you come forward and ask for those prayers. 
To wrap this up, I'm going to announce the theme for next year. And I'm going to read you one scripture. And it's the theme we're going to build around next year. And it comes from Romans 8.37. Romans 8.37. And it talks there about the fact the Spirit assures a final victory. In Romans 8.37. It says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That will be our theme for next year. Romans 8.37. Yet in all things we are more than conquerors for him who loved us. I hope today's sermon his lesson has been edifying and uplifting. It was something for you to consider. When I was asked to speak about a Christian wife, I literally didn't know which way to go with this sermon. And I hope it didn't seem like it was just coming from all different directions. But it was things that were on my, on my mind, things for you to consider, okay? What a blessing our spouses can be. And what a blessing we can be to other people. And let's use our words to uplift If there's any way we can help you this morning, we ask you to come forward as we stand and as we sing.